a great privilege as a as a Catholic priest to be able to have the honor that uh, during the liturgy I can I can read from the gospel and I proclaim the words of Christ. How awesome that is! It's a really great privilege, and I don't take it for granted. Christ's words are so life giving, and it's we're all so amazingly privileged to have four gospels just completely chock pack full of the words, the life-giving words of Jesus. I mean, how many religious teachers might uh, have come and gone and maybe left behind them a certain kind of vague memory of what they even said? But we as Christians have four full, large books, all full of the, of the explicit teaching, the words and the deeds of Jesus Christ. It's, it's uh, an amazing privilege. And what is the life-giving word that Jesus gives to us today. He says, whoever drinks this water, speaking about earthly water, will thirst again. Whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. These are his words of life for us here today, this morning, my brothers and sisters. And this third Sunday of Lent, as well as the fourth and the fifth, we've got something special going on. We're not going to witness it here at St. Patrick's. But at St. John's, we have what are called the scrutinies. And the scrutinies are done uh, on behalf of people who are preparing for baptism, our catechumens. And we've got one uh, catechumen coming into, uh, into the church this year. And at the 1030 Mass at St. John's, uh, there's a special ritual called the scrutiny. And so that's why we're having the special readings, the year A readings, uh, this Sunday, even though it should normally be year B. And uh, the scrutinies are, are really very beautiful and rich uh, rituals that are ordered towards the sacrament of baptism. And we see today in our readings, all of the readings have to do in some manner, shape, or form with baptism in the sense that there's this theme of water going on. So in, in the book of Exodus, we've got the staff of Moses, the very same staff with which he divided the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism. It's the same staff that he uses to provide water. He strikes the rock and the water comes forth. And the rock is a symbol of Jesus Christ. And the water that comes forth from the rock is a symbol of, of the life-giving spirit and grace that comes forth from Jesus, our Savior. And that's given to us through the waters of baptism. And then in our epistle to the Romans, St. Paul says something very beautiful. He says, if you pay attention closely to the language, you can see there's, it's kind of an allusion to baptism because he says, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So we, we can almost imagine the, 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 the priest pouring the water of baptism over the head of the catechumen. The love of God has been poured out by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And then, of course, Jesus in our gospel speaks of this uh, living water, this spring of water that wells up into eternal life, that he is thirsty to give to us. And uh, baptism has to do with an external ritual that involves water, but by virtue of Christ's promise, it also gives to us a spiritual water. A spiritual water. And that's what Jesus is speaking about in our gospel. 
All of us who have been baptized and who are in the grace of God have this spiritual water within us, even if we're not fully aware of it. We have this spring of water within our hearts that wells up to eternal life. Now, what exactly is this spring of water? Now, I know it has to do with baptism, uh, but the spiritual water, the spiritual water that he gives to us. I think there's a lot of different interpretations that can be given to this, but today what I would uh, what I would suggest to you all is that this has to do with God's goodness, that the water, the living water that God gives to us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost by the sacrament of baptism is his very goodness, the goodness of God. How I hunger and thirst for God's goodness, how God's goodness alone satisfies us. And I pray for myself and for all of us that what bit of thirst and hunger we have for God's goodness would be only increased throughout the course of this Lenten season as we prepare for Easter. In the scrutinies, what takes place, uh, something very beautiful, the uh, catechumen comes forward, and they're probably going to be a little bit nervous here, so I'm going to probably give her a, a sedative or a Valium or something just to calm her down, but she's going to come forward, and uh, we all kneel and we pray for her, and we pray three things. We pray that whatever is not good in her and ourselves as well. We're praying for ourselves as well. Whatever is not good in her would be removed. Whatever is good in her would be strengthened and brought to prominence. And then goodness itself, infinite goodness itself, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, would live within her, would dwell within her as this living water. That's that's what the scrutinies at the 1030 Mass are going to be all about. And uh, they all focus on this idea of goodness, our goodness, our lack of goodness, and also God's goodness. Now, a little personal testimony here from when I was younger. Uh, I would say as I was a moving into my teenage years and, and probably my preteen, preteen years as well, I had a, a very deep, burning, passionate thirst for truth, for truth. But I have to say, I probably, you know, my, my thirst and my hunger for goodness was probably not, <laughs> certainly was not nearly as strong as my, my thirst and my hunger for truth. Maybe it was, it was just there, but I, I, it wasn't very strong. And so I admit that uh, certainly to my to my great shame. But that desire for truth was a gift of God for which I'm eternally thankful. And uh, eventually that would go on to bear fruit, uh, a fruit that is an understanding of what God's goodness is. And I came to see over a course of many years of conversion and, and God's patience with me through various circumstances and uh encounters with individuals and reading and studying and whatnot, I came to understand God's goodness as a form of truth, as another form of truth. That moral goodness is an embracing of the truth, not with the mind, but with our life. And it is 
an embracing of the truth of our own human nature. It is an embracing of the truth of our relationship with one another and with God. That's what moral goodness is. It is another form of truth. It's truth being apprehended not through the mind, but through our very life. St. Paul has this beautiful, powerful passage in Ephesians. It's translated different ways, but one translation, probably the best translation, is says Paul talks about living the truth in love. That we would live the truth in love. And that's what it is to be an authentically, morally good person is to live according to the truth of our very being and the truth of our the nature of our relationships with one another and with God. And uh, as I, in my own journey over the course of 25, 30 plus whatever years, uh, you know, that God's grace was, was working this kind of understanding in me, I came to hunger, thanks be to God, for goodness as much as for truth. And I, I came to understand that my pursuit of truth was really uh, just a compliment to this 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 other pursuit of of goodness. Now, many people can speak about goodness uh, in terms of pleasure, and that's a legitimate uh, form of discourse. I mean, you can do that. You can speak about goodness in terms of pleasure. You can say, "Hey, you know that glass of wine? That was a pretty good glass of wine, huh? You know, and you know that that second glass of wine was pretty good too." Okay, well, wait a second. What about the third, though? The fourth, the fifth, the sixth? Wait a second. Is there goodness in this wine anymore? No, no, no. Because we're starting to, to violate a deeper goodness, a moral goodness. And so we see that the goodness that is pleasure is a limited kind of goodness. Okay, You can have too much of it, and it can be imbalanced. It can turn around and bite you and turn to evil. So pleasure is not the source of, of true, lasting goodness and satisfaction and happiness. Now, after drinking too many wine, glasses of wine, and maybe eating too much, you got maybe, uh, you know, along with that wine, you had a steak or something like that, you ate too much, and now you've got a tummy ache. And so you open up the medicine cabinet, and you look at this pink bottle, and it's got Pepto-Bismol. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand the taste of Pepto-Bismol. Certainly not pleasure-inducing, uh, but it is good in another sense. It's good because it's useful. And so you you scarf down that Pepto-Bismol, and your tummy ache is taken care of. Like, oh man, that was a good that did a good job taking care of my tummy ache. So there's another kind of good that's a useful good. Okay. Uh, but that kind of good is also limited, just like the good that is pleasure. The useful good is limited because uh, it's only a means to an end. Certainly, you wouldn't want to drink Pepto-Bismol unless you had another, an ulterior motive for, for drinking that stuff. It's not something that you're, you know, you're, you're pursuing in and of itself for its own sake. It's only a means to an end. But my brothers and sisters, moral goodness is not like that. It's not like the good that is pleasure. It is not like the good that is merely useful. Because you, it can never be abused. You can never have enough of moral goodness. And it's never a means to an end. It's always an end in and of itself. Because it's rooted ultimately in God who is infinite. God alone can satisfy the hungry heart. Our hearts and our souls have an infinite capacity for goodness. 
And only God can satisfy that because only God is infinite. And uh, that the pleasure and the, and the means to an end, this is, this is not where ultimate goodness and happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment is, is ultimately found. It's only found in living an authentically virtuous and good life and falling in love more and more every day and hungering and thirsting for the good, which is ultimately God. So my brothers and sisters, my, my prayer for myself and for all of us this Lenten season is that, like, as we're going to pray for our catechumen at the 1030 Mass, what is not good that's in us would be removed. What's good in us would be strengthened and, and come to a prominence in our lives. And then, uh, most importantly, the good that is Jesus Christ, who alone can satisfy us, who is the living water, that alone can quench our thirst, that he, uh, who is truly good, would be given to us.